Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Hold the Line. I just wanted to get started by letting you know that I've been interviewed on another podcast. So you might want to check it out. The podcast is called Sporting Dog Talk, and it's episode 87, which is the most recent episode at the moment. And I was interviewed by Tony Peterson, who hosts that uh, podcast. And it's a super duper podcast, by the way, so you might want to check it out. It's lots of fantastic interviews that Tony does with all kinds of people relating to gun dog work. So you might want to check out some of his other episodes and subscribe to it sporting dog talk and yeah the interview with me is episode 87 so have a look at that we did talk about lots of things we kind of ranged over many subjects and some of them are not even related to gun dog training at all so that might just sort of inspire you to go take a look so sporting dog talk anyway let's get on with more gun doggery things all the line So I've had a question from a listener, and I'm going to start with that this week. I have to say, first of all, though, that I don't know if I'm the best person to answer this question because I'm not a canine fitness expert or a nutritionist. So yeah, I don't know if I'm the best person to be answering it, but I'll give you my thoughts for what they're worth. So I'll read you the uh, question or the email that I received. It's from Simon, and he said, hi, Joe. First of all, I'd like to thank you. I'm training my first Labrador retriever for picking up and tests, having had Labradors as pets in my family whilst growing up. The leaflets on the Positive Gun Dogs Facebook group, your book and podcast have all been a tremendous help. The majority of people I've met in gun dog circles near me use traditional methods. So I'm grateful for your positive training methods. Thank you. That's really good to hear, Simon. Thank you for letting me know. It's really good to know that it's being useful, all of this, because sometimes it feels like I'm just sending it out into the void, especially with this podcast. Um, Anyway, let's continue. So Simon then says, I'd like to ask some questions, hopefully for your podcast, about fitness for the shooting season, all focused at keeping dogs fit and healthy, having the stamina for a day's work and hopefully be less prone to injury. I went to several driven shoots last year, but I'm planning on doing a lot more this season. So these are his questions. One, how do you adjust your training sessions leading up to the season to get your dog sufficiently fit, e.g. length, frequency of sessions, using two-pound dummies for strength? Two, your routine on the day, warming up, rest between drives, e.g. quiet time in the car, slash extra food. Three, reducing training sessions pre or post shoot days to allow for recovery. I realize there was a lot there, but any advice would be gratefully received. Good luck with the second book. Kind regards, Simon. Aha, the second book. The second book 
well, I think there's a chapter of it written at the moment. I do have, though, another uh, kind of competing project, which is also about force-free gun dog training. And I'm all sort of torn between these two projects whenever I have some spare time, which one I spend that time on. So at the moment, I'm spending it mostly on the other project, which you're still going to really like, by the way, guys, when I tell you what it is and finally announce it. But yeah, the book is definitely there. I keep jotting down notes and writing when I can. So it's coming on. Anyway, let's go back to Simon's questions. So I can tell you what I do. However, I would put a proviso in there that, you know, what I do is not necessarily the best thing to do with all these questions because I'm not, as I said, a canine fitness expert. You know, canine fitness is now a massive kind of industry. There are I don't know, what are there, fit paws and fit things. And there are pieces of equipment called peanuts and uh, fit bones. And (laughs) I kind of investigated it a little bit. Maybe we should get someone on the show that I can interview who can tell us a bit more about it all and about, you know, we can take a deeper dive into what's going on with dogs when they're worked really hard and how we can approach a shoot day from that perspective. But anyway, To answer your questions from my perspective, how do you adjust your training sessions leading up to the season to get your dog sufficiently fit? Well, I would probably just do more um, aerobic stuff. So I'd probably just do longer retrieves, whether that's marks or blinds or memories. So I'd have the dog running more. And if I had a HBR, I would have them, you know, increase the amount of hunting that we're doing as well, meaning quartering. So they're, they're kind of getting conditioned to run for longer periods of time without slacking off on the speed or performance side of things so that's probably all i would do to be honest i don't think i would increase the frequency of sessions because i I have a sort of amount of time every day that i can spend with my dogs and i can't really spend more time than that to get everything done and using two pound dummies for strength i don't think i would do that for strength i would kind of make sure a dog can retrieve pretty much everything so that would be part of the click and retrieve process making sure that they can pick up things that are really heavy things that are fur things that are feathers things that are you know weird shapes um and i would move it onto game as well so basically i would i would i would have them picking up heavy objects but for the purposes of generalization and training not for the purposes of strengthening their neck muscles so i don't know if that answers that question at all Um, And then your routine on the day, warming up or rest between drives. So warming up, I don't think I would have much time to warm dog up. So usually there's a bit of traveling to be done and I have to get up quite early anyway, make sure I've got everything packed and with me that I need for the day. And there's not really much time to do anything warming up before we get there. And then when we get there, be trying to say hello to people, be sociable. And and there's not really much time to warm, warm a dog up. So I probably wouldn't be doing much warming up. I think that's probably a bad thing in terms of canine fitness, but <laughs> um, that's how it goes. Rest between drives. My main concern there would probably just be that the dogs might get cold, particularly if they're wet. And so I think, you know, especially with the thinner coated HPR breeds, I'd want to make sure that they've got a jumper on if they're not moving around anymore, if they're still and hanging out somewhere or if they're in the car. And that's probably what I'd be doing there. But again, that's more about comfort really rather than um fitness i would think although it may keep their muscles warm i guess too and extra food i think you know i think it probably depends how many days a season your dog is working and how hard they're working if they're just working weekends 
I don't think I'd increase the food at all. But if they're working almost every day or quite intensely, then you probably want to increase the food. Um, there is something called a crunch pemmican bar. I'm not sure if these are still available. I probably should um, check that out. But it's crunch spelled. I'm just Googling it right now while I'm talking. K-R-O-N-C-H pemmican, P-E-M-I-K-A-N crunch pemmican bars there we go you can get them in the uk pemmican bar crunch uk description a high energy supplementary feed so crunch pemmican is comprised of the essential levels of fat protein and glucose to provide so it's basically a doggy energy bar so i have used those a bit in the past so yeah if you want to look those up crunch pemmican crunch with a k k r o n c h pemmican p e m i k a n so yeah, sometimes I'll have one of those in my pocket. And if I think my dog is flagging a little bit or needs a little bit of a boost, I will bring out my crunch pemmican bar and give them that. So, um, but in terms of like daily like meals, unless the dog's working every day, it wouldn't really increase their food very much. So, and then your other question, reducing training sessions pre or post shoot days to allow for recovery. Yes, I probably would do that. So, um, what I tend to find, no, well, let's talk about before, before the day your dog's going to work, assuming that they have a day off before they're working. Um, what I would do, and this would be more for dogs which which need more oomph and which you, you, the main concern is that they're not going to go fast enough, stylishly enough. And I'm talking mainly here about HPR breeds, I think, and the hunting side of things. So I'm thinking really about my Vimarana slate. So she, her weak point was not running hunting hard enough and wide enough and um, fast enough and, you know, with enough drive. So I realized that she could do that acceptably well. If she had a day off before, she would be kind of bursting with energy. And particularly if I was lucky enough to run first (laughs) or early on, um, she would then hunt acceptably well. So, um, yeah. So having a day off before was really beneficial for her. I would do some training in the house, sort of brain games and that kind of thing, but I would not take her out. And so we did have a lot more energy then when we did go out. So, but if I were on a shoot day, I mean, that that was more for trials really. So, but if I were on a shoot day, I don't think I would really worry about not going out the day before. I just do whatever is more convenient, I think. And if she was going to, you know, be a pain in the bum at home, if I didn't take her out, I probably would still take her out. Um, and then the day after, yeah, I usually just let the dogs tell me what they need the day after. And if they seem to be really sleepy and there's this kind of, you know, the feeling that a house has when all the dogs are really just tired and exhausted. It's so nice. It's just like there's this quality to the to the silence. <laughs> um, and if it felt like that and everyone just felt really settled and sleepy, then they could even have the day off if it seemed that that would be um, something that would be okay for them um, or a much quieter slower paced training session than usual so that's probably what I would do again I would say I'm not a canine fitness expert or nutritionist um, but those are some things that have worked for me but you know they are very much based on the individual dog as well so you just got to kind of figure out what works for your dog and there might be different things with different dogs you know I mean you might have going back to my uh, Vimeran example there you might have the opposite dog you might have a dog 
where your problem is that they have so much drive and so much pace and so much run that if you don't take them out the day before and give them a good run, they might get themselves into trouble because they just might be have too much energy when that lead comes off. That's a bit like my Labrador, Moy, who is very enthusiastic, sometimes bordering on being a bit hot. And so with her, it's best to pull over on the way somewhere and let her do some memories or, you know, some long retrieves, but just to get the yayas out and to um, run about before we end up being whatever it is that we're going to be working that day. So, you know, it varies very much depending on the breed, but maybe also depending on the subgroup thinking about it, because, you know, the requirement for retrievers is obviously tends to be more walking at heel and control and steadiness and sitting at your side than for HBRs in some working contexts if they're you know using their hunting abilities rather than being a peg dog for example so it kind of depends on the dog and the job for the dog so yeah so with Moy I would definitely because you know for her to be walking at heel for long periods of time or calmly sitting at my side I'd want to be giving her an opportunity before we got there to get rid of some of those yayas on the way so that would be quite important and that's kind of like the opposite, really, to what I would want to have done for my Vimarana, who I no longer have, but who needed to have a day off before. Does that make any sense? However, I'm also aware while I'm saying all of this, that these things are not relating to canine fitness in any way, shape or form. And they're more relating to performance and to outcome and to what gives the best sort of um, performance for the dog rather than fitness. So, yeah, and I think, you know, fitness and behavior or fitness and training are very closely related. So the exercise is going to somehow or other positively or negatively affect the dog's performance somehow. So that has to be factored in when you're thinking about what exercise to provide for the dog. I hesitate to give you advice that is going to be across the board for all dogs, because like most advice, it's going to be based on your individual dog and what they need. So anyway, but hopefully that's given you some ideas and some thoughts and some things to consider. Um, so yeah, okay, let's move on to the next subject. Hold the line. So next, I was going to talk a little bit about a concept which I call triangulation, and I'll explain what it is. <laughs> so if you think about gun dog work, whatever it is, whatever you, whatever dog you have and whatever your idea of gun dog work involves, it involves a person, the handler, it involves the dog, and it involves the the bird or the game or whatever it is that you're hunting or shooting. So there are three, and we can call that thing, by the way, the reinforcer. So that game or bird or whatever it is, that is the reinforcer or one of the reinforcers that, that's in play. So there are these three key parts to gundog work, three key elements to gundog work. And the important thing is that the reinforcer, that game, is not on your person. It's out there in the environment, somewhere away from you. So I think that in raising a gun dog, in training a gun dog, especially using force-free methods, that there is so much that we can do around that concept, which I call triangulation. And I just call it triangulation because rather than it just being you and the dog, where you've got the treats on your person or the reinforcers on your person, there's there's this other reinforcer out there in the environment, the game. So 
it, that's a third place. There's you, the dog, and there's the thing out there. So I think the more that we can use training exercises, which are working with that concept, the better it is for the dog and for developing the dog's brain around that idea for the future. So um, I'll give you some examples. Actually, if you listen back to the interview that I did with Jane Arden last in the last um, podcast episode, Jane talks about some exercises which actually are triangulation, although she doesn't use that word, but she talks about things like not letting the dog actually get the perceived reinforcer. So if she's using a flirt pole or if she's using a um, tennis ball or whatever, that that may not be the reinforcer which the dog actually gets. So the concept is you, dog, might be surprised by a reinforcer which comes from somewhere that you didn't necessarily expect it to begin with. So that's a kind of key concept. And if you think about it, there are so many exercises which revolve around this. So you might have heard of the Zen bowl or the Zen hand. So this is the kind of idea. And if you're into sort of Fenzi Academy courses, you might have come across this as well, where you have a sort of bowl on the floor with a treat in it or a couple of treats in it. And you have a cue which tells the dog that they can go to that bowl and get that treat. So the cue is going to be not the same cue that you use to tell the dog they're getting a treat from your hand, but it will be another cue. So um, I quite embarrassingly use cookies to mean go to the bowl and get your treat. So this is the same idea. So the dog can be working with you, focused on you, and then you can give your cookies cue or whatever you presumably would choose a more sensible word than I have. But anyway, your cue, which, which tells the dog they can run to the bowl and get their treat out of the bowl. So you've kind of got that triangulation thing happening again there. So you've got you and the dog but you've got the reinforcer, which is this third thing out there in the environment. And you're giving, you're cueing the dog to go access that thing. So I think that these exercises that involve, you know, the reinforcer not being on your person and the reinforcer coming from an unexpected place and not where you necessarily expected it to begin with, these are all really, really important for, um, let's think about it as building the parts of the dog's brain which are going to be required in the future to be successful in gun dog work. So um, when they do encounter game, they've kind of got a history of working with the reinforcer not being where they expected to be and the reinforcer out there in the environment, which they then wait for a cue from you to access and so on and so forth. I think these type of games are really important. Also, um, on a similar note, games that involve disengaging from things and shift the shifting of focus or attention from one thing to another. So you might have heard of the exercise where you have two tuggies and the dog switches from one tuggy to the other. So the kind of drop exercise where you're playing tug with the dog with the tuggy in your right hand and then you say drop and then you offer the dog dog the tuggy in your left hand and say tag or whatever your tug cue is. Um, And so you're kind of able to switch backwards and forwards And the dog is able to disengage from one reinforcer and then be offered another reinforcer from a third place, from another place. So I think these type of exercises are really, really important for developing these parts of the dog's brain. And this is going to be a chapter in the second book, by the way. So hopefully that will whet your appetites. (laughs) Um, 
and hopefully I'm actually going to write it before everyone gets incredibly frustrated with me. But yeah, so um, I think that the more exercises you can do, particularly with young dogs, with puppies, and before you get on to working with game, um, of this type of stuff, it's just really, really useful. Hold the line. Anyway, that's all for this week, everybody. And I will speak to you all next time. Hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line.